Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. We've had 35 resurrections of the dead. The closer they are to freshly dead, the easier they are to resurrect. So I see this giant angel and I asked him his name. It's a financial company. And I realized this angel is here for our finances. And that's a true literal story, by the way. These people are charlatans. And it's about time we draw a line in the sand and stop fraternizing with the wolves. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. This is a test of the evangelical broadcast system or something. This is Wretched Radio. Prepare for a little bit of a test. You might recall last week, we spent an hour, gasp, an hour talking about a particular attribute of God that, in my opinion, is an attribute that many of us who are conservative Bible-based Christians tend to blanch and shy away from because of the massive amount of abuse that this attribute of God has experienced. And, oh, it's just, oh, what people have done to it. And maybe, just maybe, you, because of so much bad preaching on this particular attribute, you just don't want to even talk about it. You just don't want anything preached to you about this because it's like, don't don't become liberal with preaching on this attribute, because that's what the liberals do. The wackadoodles are always talking about this. Let's zip it and get into something more profound, more theological. Let, let's 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 open up a theological dialogue and do deep digging into God's word, which is good, which is right. But if you blanch at the idea of focusing on what we are going to focus on again, then maybe, just maybe, something is broken in your theological processes. We're to read the Bible to, yes, amass knowledge. That's how the process works. But the process doesn't stop there. Now the theology needs to do something to us, for us, in us. And maybe, just maybe, if you hear about this particular subject and go, I'd rather not, then maybe your theological process needs to be fixed. What is the attribute that we are going to talk about? Here's your test to see if what you said last week is true. We are going to talk about love. And if you, to any degree went, oh, do we have to? I'm telling you, we have to. And might I just suggest to you, like I have to tell myself, so this is, I'm aiming this at me, and it just might deflect off of me and ricochet onto you. I need to get over it. Confession, not one that I like to make. When I pray to thank God for all that he is and all that he has done, It's a piece of cake. I don't even think twice about it. Uh, Thank you for your patience, for your kindness, for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace, for being sovereign, for reigning, for taking care of me and my family. Thank you for your goodness. That's easy. But then, when I know that I should thank God for his little... Thank you for 
loving I have to change it to thank you for your loving kindness as if to remove any sort of sentimentality from the concept of God's love for me it's a struggle for some of us maybe maybe not for you but I think it is for most of us for varying reasons you know yourself you know that you're not lovable it's sometimes hard to grasp he loves you anyway maybe your sinful past is of such a stripe that it continues to keep you from fully appreciating God's love for you. Or, as mentioned before, it is because you've heard too much really sappy preaching about God's love. So what do you say we get over it together? And let's listen to more Alistair Begg preaching on the subject of love. Christianity, when we turn to the Bible, says we are actually alienated from the God who created us. We were created for his purpose and for his glory. We have turned our backs on him. We have rebelled. We have gone our own way. There is an, indiv- there is a, there is an invisible boundary between ourselves and God as creator. There is no, we possess no intuitive radar whereby we can contact God on our own t- terms or in our own time. It is impossible to do. The only way that God may be known is by way of revelation. And that revelation has come finally and savingly in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that when we go to people and we tell them and we say, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you can ask, they say, who are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about the God who created the heavens and the earth. I'm talking about the God that I'm teaching my grandchildren about so that they might know, we will tell them, listen, honey, before there was time, before there was anything, there was God. Really, Papa? Really? Let's sing about it. All things bright and beautiful, all creatures, great and small, all things wise and wonderful. The Lord God made them all. He gave us eyes to see them and lips that we might tell how great is God Almighty who has done all things well. This is God, you see. Now to him, to him, not a cosmic principle, not a creation of our imagination. A God that you can imagine is no God. And once you've imagined him, you can go and imagine another one and another one after that. No, no, he says. Paul says, I know this God. I met this God. I thought I had him completely encapsulated in my Judaism until on that Damascus road, I realized looking up into that light that was brighter than the noonday sun. And I said, who are you, Lord? Hmm. Incidentally, that punctuation that I would like to change, I think it should be, who are you, question mark, Lord, which is curious, which is the, the Septuagint translation of Yahweh, who are you? Lord. Lord? Yeah. Now, unto him, for you know, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. There's another thought you might struggle with. Whatever your socioeconomic status is, you, because of Christ, are rich. Not because of you, not because of your 401k, but because of what God gives to you through his 
Son. Our view of God, as we said this morning, will determine our approach to God. We used to sing a song in the 60s. I, um, in the stars, his handiwork I see. On the wind, he speaks with majesty. Though he ruleth over land and sea, what is that to me? I always thought it was a strange song. It sounds even stranger now that I'm saying it. What is that to me? <laughs> I will celebrate nativity, whatever that, for it has a place in history. So he came to set his people free. What is that to me? Then one day I met him face to face, and I found the wonder of his grace. Now I know that he is not a God who doesn't care, who lives away up there. But now he walks beside me day by day. Now he keeps me in the narrow way. You see, that is conversion, isn't it? That's how we know when a man or woman has been converted. It's not that they decide to exchange one external set of circumstances for another, but they've got an, an entirely new view of Jesus. Who are you? Lord? Completely new view of Jesus. You've got an entirely new view of yourself. I'm Saul of Tarsus. I graduated very nicely. I'm a student of Gamaliel, and uh, my background is frankly impeccable. People who know me are just impressed with my righteousness. But mercy was shown to me, me, the chief of sinners. What's happened? He's been converted. He has a new view of Jesus. He has a new view of God's mercy. He has an entirely new view of himself. So that his worship is, if you like, self-abnegation and God's exaltation. Well, our time is virtually gone, but you'll notice that not only is he focused in this doxology on God's person, but also on his power. This God is able. Able. Able to do what? Well, he's able to do what we ask. Well, he's actually able to do what we ask or think. Well, he's actually able to do all that we ask or think. Well, he's actually able to do far more than all we ask or think. Well, he's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. In other words, there can be no degrees of difficulty for an omnipotent God. Oh, we have to stop right there, and that was another test. Did you just say, good? I'd rather listen to the commercials than all of this focusing on God and his goodness to me. But if you said, you know what, I, I, I'm a little parched and I could drink more of that living water, then we will continue to share it. Whether you like it or not, here on Wretched Radio. 
So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MetaShare, affordable, biblical, health, sharing, has a 98% approval rating. 400,000 members strong, sharing one another's healthcare bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% of the members of MediShare give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. Thank you for joining us for Wretched Radio today. When is the last time you took a gander around the Wretched Store? If it's been a while, I'd like to urge you to do so today. The Wretched Store is home to tons of great resources, books, booklets, videos, MP3s, and curriculum. And I'll go out on the limb and say that everybody will be able to find something they'll love and learn from in the Wretched Store. So take some time and peruse all we have available. Wretched.org slash store. All of the resources that you'll find are only made possible by the support of our gospel partners. We can't produce the content that we're able to produce without that ongoing support. So while you're visiting the Wretched store at wretched.org, would you also consider taking a look at our donate page by clicking the give link at the top of the page? There you'll find all the information you will ever need regarding becoming a gospel partner. Wretched.org slash store, wretched.org slash donate. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel. 59 million people died last year from diseases like heart disease, cancer, diabetes. But the number one leading cause of death, its very own category of 42.6 million lives that ended abortion. It is hands down the number one leading cause of death on the globe. And that statistic can overwhelm us and cause us to give up. But it should motivate us to get engaged, get involved, and fight for one life at a time. And we can do that through preborn.org slash wretched. $28 buys an ultrasound. 80% of the time, mom chooses life. That is a good investment that saves lives. Would you please consider supporting as many ultrasounds as you can at preborn.org slash wretched. Important dates in Christian history. 863 AD. Cyril and Methodius, Greek brothers, evangelize the Serbs. Cyril develops the Cyrillic alphabet, which remains the basis for the Slavonic used in the liturgy of the Russian church. Even the alphabet can be a reminder of God's work in the world. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Yes, we are. This is Wretched Radio, doing what I believe many of us need to do more often, and that is to focus on God, not simply for the sake of being smarter theologically than everybody else in Sunday school, but so that I can know him, that I, that I can be affected by him, that life is redirected by him. It is not confusing anymore. 
I get it. It's not because we're Gnostic, but it's because we have the mind of Christ. And he gives that to us, too. And when we study who he is, what he is capable of, what he has done that needs to get into you. There's there's a couple of ways that you might be able to do that. When you're reading your Bible, perhaps start asking these questions when you're done with a verse or two. What does that verse tell me about God? And how does that verse apply to me? Start doing that. And you're going to be shocked. Wait a second. When we get to, to, to him who is able to do abundantly, far more abundantly than anything we can hope or think, pray or think. Okay, what does that say about God? He's really powerful. What does that say about me? I'm not, but he is. And he gives that to me. And that will begin the process of taking your head knowledge and turning it into a heart experience. There can be no degrees of difficulty for an omnipotent God. There are no degrees of difficulty for an omnipotent God. You never have to say to God, well, how hard was that? Hmm. <laughs> it wasn't hard. Why? Because I'm able. So the encouragement in this, I think, is to bring our great request to God, isn't it? To, it's, I, think it's, I think it's an encouragement that's inherent in the text to say, you know, you are coming to a king, large petitions to him bring. God may choose to answer in his time. He may not choose to answer in our time. He will answer in his time, not necessarily in our time. Some of us are going to have to have posthumous joys. In other words, the answers to our prayers will not be revealed to us until we're in eternity. And then we will see that those for whom we have actually prayed and died praying for them have actually been the beneficiaries of God's grace and goodness. May, may it be so. Mm. What would happen to your prayer life if you would take a look at Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is far more abundantly able to do all that we pray or think. And you focus on that God. Okay, he's able to do anything that I ask him for and he will do it if it is in alignment with his will. Do you think that might affect the fervency of your prayers? I suspect it would. This is just another chance to not just amass knowledge, but to use that knowledge to bring about a change in you, and in this case, in your prayer life. You see, the reality of the power of God is not academic here. It's not theoretical. You'll notice he's talking about according to the power at work within us. He includes himself in it. You know Paul well enough. In Romans 8, he says, He didn't spare his own son. He gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And it is on account of that that he then ends in this way. But to him, the personhood of God, the power of God, and the praise of God. To him be glory. Where? Well, in the church. In the church. In other words, in the bride, the church is where we have a charcoal sketch of what one day will be displayed in glorious technicolor. And so he's praying for these Ephesian believers, amongst whom the unimaginable has happened. 
because the barrier between them as Jew and Gentile has been broken down, has been removed in Jesus. And so he says, may the glory of God, may the majesty of his purposes and his power be displayed in the church right here in Ephesus. As you gather in your congregations, may it be that when the Ephesian world comes in and looks at you, they say, how in the world did this happen? How, how, how come you people who hated one another are sitting together in this, at this communion service? What has happened here? The answer is, this is what God has done. We can apply it to ourselves, can't we? In the church, God is, if you like, remending his broken world, a world that is broken that will finally one day be fixed in all of its entirety. And in the meantime, the gathering of God's people is an opportunity to show the world a microcosm of what God will ultimately complete. So the issues of race, of culture, of class, of education, and of status are not eradicated in the church, but they are transformed by the gospel. <laughs> so that the very things that separate us from one another, clever enough to get into the school, dumb enough to not get in any school, uh, fast enough to be able to win the thing, so slow that a cart horse could beat you, all of the things by which we're separated from one another, to which we bring to this amazing family as we build with bananas, all of this then finds its answer in the work of the gospel, in the church, and in Christ Jesus, who is the head of the church. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And how long will this go on? How long will this take place? Throughout all generations. Throughout all generations. Some generations, all generations. Forever and ever. Forever and ever. It's a Randy Travis song, isn't it? Actually, it's a Paul Overstreet song, sung by Randy Travis. As long as old women sit and talk about the weather as long as old as long as old men sit and talk about the weather as long as old women sit and talk about old men honey i'm going to love you forever forever and ever amen okay that's a nice thing it's valentine's day coming up just priming your pump for you you got a chance you didn't know what you were going to write on the card here you go all the other verses are there. I don't care if all your hair falls out because I'm not in love with your hair. Remember that part as well? You've got it all there. If on a human level we recognize that, if on a human level we see something of it, then here is the wonder of it. Paul says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations. The older you get, you start to sound like your grandparents. You start to say the things your grandparents said. You know, like this world has gone to hell. This, this thing is over. I mean, there's no way we're going to be able to come back from this. This is unbelievable. Have you seen these pop groups? Look at this stuff. If I dressed like that when I was a boy, they would have put me in an insane asylum. All the same stuff. Why? Because we've got this notion somehow or another that when we wrap it up, it's over. We're going to close the door and it'll be done. No, it won't. Throughout all generations, all generations, so that the generations yet unborn will arise to praise him. God knows what he's doing. And he will take care of it forever and forever. And you get to be a part of that. Let me ask you for your assessment of what you just heard from Alistair Begg preaching. If I asked you, what was his subject there? You're, you're going to say God. And it is. But he was specifically, without using tired cliches, was talking about how amazing our God is so that we will love him. 
and that we will be loved by him. But it didn't sound all squish bomby, did it? It was glorious preaching. It was high preaching. Okay, it had a Randy Travis song in it, but nobody's perfect. Even Alistair Begg. And how did he know that Paul Overstreet was the author of a song that Randy Travis sang? I do not. Okay, actually, I, I know how that happens. Go ahead. Ask me about an 80s song, and I'll probably be able to tell you something about it. So I guess I shouldn't be looking down on Alistair Begg, who is asking us to look up, get a higher view of God, and realize the higher up he gets in your mind, and yet he stoops. That our God sits in the heavens. Who am I that you are mindful of me? And he is. And that should cause you to not just know truths about God, but to feel them and to be affected by them. And that doesn't mean you need to become liberal. It doesn't mean that you need to care less about theology. But it does mean that your heart is going to get more tender and more tender as you put that theology to work in your walk. And if you don't, well, you're just, you're just going to be stunted. That's all. You're just going to be stunted. And there's a pretty good chance you might end up being really crabby too. Because if you can't love and be loved by God, uh, how, how can we be genuinely lovable or loved by anyone? We can't. If, if we can't know God's love, which is a greater love than any love that we experience on this earth, with all due respect to Whitney Houston and George Benson before her, the greatest love of all is God himself. It's demonstrated in the cross, but the greatest love is God. May I ask you, have you been letting yourself know and feel the love of God or has, has it been a little dry for you, a little parched? You're just still a little bit gun shy. Let me encourage you again to do what I have to do, and that is get over it. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. How's this for Chinese censorship? A Canadian-born athlete who happens to be competing on Team China isn't being allowed to speak English to the media at the Olympics, probably because, you know, communism and stuff. The 26-year-old goalie has to speak to even American reporters with an interpreter. Everything that makes sense, that's what we don't do. But the things that make zero sense... Well, those are the things that are becoming normal. And if we haven't given you enough examples over the months of exactly what defund the police has done in different areas of this country, here's another one from Seattle. Seattle's transit system has become almost totally unusable after reports of toxic fentanyl and meth smoke, volatile behavior, and dangerous work environments, which has scared off travelers, according to local authorities. And the city says it plans to deal with this surge of violence and drug abuse by reinforcing its police department. The thing that it defunded previously because it thought crime would start to go away. You know, it really never pays to take the advice of criminals who say they want to get rid of police just because they hold a picket sign and chant mean things at you. 
A father in California lost custody of his transgender-identifying 16-year-old after opposing hormone therapy and declaring his belief that transgenderism is a sin. He expressed love for his son, but would not affirm his son as a female or use his preferred they-them pronouns. And because of his position, the father lost all parental rights with no ability to see his son going forward. Punishing the only person willing to tell this confused kid the truth will do more harm than anything, and it makes no sense whatsoever, but neither does most of what the world does. Well, Boko Haram extremists in Nigeria have burned churches, attacked Christians more than 100 times, and abducted over 300 girls. And in the face of all of this persecution, Nigerian Christians are saying that it will not stop them from worshiping God. The 2022 Open Doors World Watch List ranks Nigeria seventh of places where it's most difficult to be a Christian. Please make sure that you are praying for all of our brothers and sisters abroad. And not that any of this next story will be news to you, but a congresswoman running for Senate in Missouri recently ran a campaign ad where she targeted biological men competing in women's sports, calling them men pretending to be women, which is exactly what they are. But considering the fact that lying to people is the new thing in this country, you might have guessed that the woke among us have gotten their feelings hurt hearing the truth in this campaign ad. Look, if an adult feels like they need to mutilate themselves into becoming the opposite of what God created, and that's on them. But just stop expecting the rest of us to stroke your hair and tell you lies. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible Song of Songs, also known as Song of Solomon, is a song about romantic love. The author uses sensuous, romantic language to describe courtship and marriage, desire and intimacy in the context of purity and goodness, which are God's intentions for marriage. A biblical view of marital love is romantic and passionate while being innocent and pure. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. All right, fine. Let's talk about us. This is Wretched Radio. Alistair Begg has been talking pretty exclusively about God, applying who he is, what he has done, what he's going to do to us. But the focus was not on us. It was on him. And when we do that, we are going to not just learn, but we will be affected and changed. But that is not the snippet I'm going to play for you. That that means the love discourse is done. Instead, let's talk about us and um, maybe the picture that Alistair Begg is about to paint. Let's just say if it describes you and your church, um, maybe we need to be doing some touching up. Tis what I know of thee, my Lord and God, that fills my life with praise, my lips with song. If I look in only on myself, there is sufficient ground for disappointment and despair and recrimination. But it is when I look away from myself to all that God has made true to us in the fullness of his Son and by the enabling of the Holy Spirit that we are then able to enter into his gates with praise." Horatius Bonner, one of my favorite um, hymn writers from Scotland in the 19th century, has written a number of hymns. I hope you sing them. If not, go find them. You might need new melodies for them, but that's your department. Um, But he has a wonderful hymn that begins, that begins, not what I am, O Lord, but what thou art. Now, just stop there for a moment. 
There's a start of a hymn in the selfie generation. There are people who come for a whole week, they've been taking selfies. They've been going around with that walking stick, taking pictures of themselves everywhere they go. And then and, and they come in and they said, um, well, how is this going to be for me? No, we're going to have the opening hymn. The opening line is, not what I am, O Lord, but what thou art. That, that alone can be my soul's true rest. Thy love, not mine, bids fear and doubt depart and stills the tempest of the tossing breast. Tis what I know of thee, my Lord and God, that fills my life with praise, my lips with song. Thou art my health, my joy, my staff, my rod, and leaning on thee in weakness, I am strong. You see, this is one of the reasons when people come into our congregations, if we don't do this, if we are not honest about this, then we come across as the, as the gathering of the smug, of the people who've got it all buttoned down. So people come in, they feel broken, disjointed, helpless. If they, if, if they get the sense that everybody in the place has got it all together, then the, 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 there's no place for them to go. There's no opportunity for them to say, I'm a physical wreck. I am emotionally broken. I, 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 I'm, 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 I'm out to lunch. But they're not going to sit and tell you that if you like, hey. Mm. No, but what do we say? We say, Jesus is the one who restores our broken lives. You see, there has to be the Corinthians dimension, doesn't there? Such were some of you. You need to know who we are. You need to know sexually perverse before Jesus redeemed us, morally a mess, lost without God and without hope in the world. It's Jesus. We want to tell you about him. That's why, you see, Paul eventually gets to this doxology in light of all the things that he's prayed. You go back through these early chapters of Ephesians. He prays for them that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened that you might know this power, that you might be strengthened, that you might comprehend that Christ may dwell in your hearts, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God, so that for all and any, then and now, we're asking, how is it ever going to happen? How will it ever become a reality? The answer is, you are coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. For his strength and power are such, none can ever ask too much. Question. I think that's Newton. Excuse me, Alistair. It's my turn. Question. What do people perceive when they walk through your church doors? Do they see everybody whose act is together? Or do they have opportunity? Because I'm not suggesting we all just walk. Oh, you're a visitor. I'm a train wreck. I My kids are doing this. We have these financial burdens. Come on in. No, I'm not saying that. That would be to ricochet into a different ditch. But do people show up and see a group of people who have been affected by the gospel, who need Jesus Christ, who have joy in their hearts despite the heartbreaks that they experience? What do people see when they see you in church? Now, this gets tricky because this is we just have a tendency, okay, I have a tendency to do this. I'll hear an observation that's like, yeah, yeah, you know what? We don't want to look like the gathering of the smug. So that means we now will come up with some program. But if you Google, there's a way to do it. How, how to be a church that looks brokenhearted or how to be a church that's authentic. I'm sure though, I'll bet that there are churches called authentic church. Jimmy? 
Would you be kind enough to Google <laughs> authentic church for me? Absolutely. And I will bet there might be one near your town where, hey, we can just we can just let our hair down and let people know about the struggles. Okay, that becomes just sappy and forced, frankly. So that's not what I think we should be after. But I do think that we should be after some sort of authentic, more holistic expression of what our lives are like. A lot of them, are, are we've got lots of good parts. But there's also some struggles. Here's another test for you. The prayer requests, what do they tend to be about? Do you hear people actually wanting prayer for their struggle? This is so common. You get together to pray. It's excellent. and It's not nearly as many people as should be at the prayer service, but there you are. And we tend to hear a lot of, of prayers aimed at one ambition, health, that I've got this problem or I've got that relative or my next door neighbor. Who we, that's, that's just very, very common. And those things are right and good, and I'm not dismissing them. But do you ever have prayers of somebody who is willing to say, would you please just pray for me? I, I, I am going through it at work this week. Uh, I'm certain that the guy's got it in for me. I, I think I'm heading out the door. Could you pray for me that I would, I would be calm, that I would trust in God, that I would still lead my family, even though I'm feeling pistol whipped by a bad boss? If you're not hearing any of those types of requests, it's probably fair to say you do not attend authentic church. Jimmy, was I right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The Carolina loves the Carolinas love to be authentic. I found one in Greer, South Carolina, and one in Hickory, North Carolina. Those mm-hmm. were the first two that came up. Yeah. 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 Would you please click on their don't tell me their name, just click on their website. We're not looking to pick on a church. Well, they're we're just looking to Pick name. on a church name. No, their name is Authentic Church. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. It is. Okay, so go to those we- <laughs> go to those websites and tell me how authentic does it look? What's the oomph for them? Uh well both the first pictures on both websites are representatives of you. Uh their target demo. Yeah, worship. Hands raised. Yeah. Oh, so authentic worship, that's mm-hmm. another trendy, trendy term. Right. right. I suspect the people, typically when marketers, well, we used to do it this way. It seems to be changing, but we used to. Who's your audience? And then whoever is in the commercial or the picture, have them look the most like the audience so that the audience can relate to them. That was basically marketing 102. Churches do the same thing. They put pictures up of what they think you are like and what you want. So typically church pictures, you got a lot of happy people. They're smiling and sitting around drinking coffee and having a good time. The kids are paying, pin the tail on the donkey and life is great. That's what, that's what they want you to think is going to happen to you when you come to this church. Jimmy, yes. just curious, mm-hmm. could you go, do they have a sermon page at uh, the authentic church? Yes, I'm sure. Maybe just read the title of a sermon or two, and let's just see how authentic it really is. Okay, uh, that one doesn't. That one doesn't have sermons. No. Mm. Uh, 
It, actually, neither one of them did. Oh, no, this one does. I'm, I'm, I'm lying. I'm lying. This one does. All right. Uh, they don't make it easy to get to, though. Yeah, let's, let's, let's not make our church a fake play, but okay. let's let people in a little bit because there is an effect to it. It's, it's not just so that you can experience catharsis, but it's so that they can see, okay, this Christian life, it's still a struggle. It's still hard. There's still messes that need to be perpetually cleaned up. Because if we just present everything as rosy and ducky every, every Sunday that somebody shows up, they're not going to feel like they fit. And they won't be understanding the gospel. They won't be understanding that such were some of us. Let's not become a silly people that pretends to be authentic, that trains greeters to be warm and sympathetic. Um, how's about finding a greeter who's warm and sympathetic? Let's do that. Let's be real. Let, let's be genuine. Let's be a bit transparent. But let's not be, if you will, authentic. This is Wretched Radio. Let's go to Eastern Europe for yet another great story coming out of the Tomorrow Clubs. Andrea was left by her mother when she was three months old. The Tomorrow Club director decided to pray for this girl and she repented. She used to be a sad looking kid. Now seems like that smile never comes off her face. So many kids are abandoned by parents who need to go to other countries to make a living. They donate their organs. They leave the kids. They are lost physically and spiritually and the Tomorrow Clubs finds them. They teach them the gospel. They help them to memorize Bible verses. They even will help them with their family lives. It's a magnificent ministry. Story after story coming out of Eastern Europe. $30 a month, 30 disciples. Tomorrow Clubs is the ministry. Would you please consider supporting a club of your own? Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. I want to share with you voicemails we receive nearly daily here at Wretched. I can't believe how many times a day I catch myself saying, Todd Creel on Wretched Radio says, I have been transformed by your program. We are grateful to hear the testimonies of our listeners and our viewers, and we want you to also hear the lives that are being impacted by you, our gospel partners. These testimonies aren't about Todd. They're not about Wretched Radio or TV. We wouldn't be able to do the things that we do at Wretched without the support of our gospel partners. So would you prayerfully consider becoming a gospel partner today if you aren't already? Help us to reach the lost all over the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ because ultimately the glory is all His. It's not Wretched's. It's not even yours. But it is your efforts that help make our efforts possible. And all of those efforts are to the praise and glory of God alone. Get complete details right now at Wretched.org slash donate. If and you think there are assaults on biblical truth in the good old U.S. of A, oh, travel overseas. Those assaults do not stay inside of our borders. And that is why Dr. John MacArthur, leading the Master's Academy International mini seminaries all throughout the world in 17 different nations, equipping pastors to rightly divide the word, fill empty pulpits, and defend the truth. 
The foundation of all ministry is having a firm grasp of the authority and inerrancy of Scripture. The age of tolerance in which we live has caused guys to soften their message, which means you eliminate certain things in Scripture or you soften the message. Young guys that are coming into the ministry need to reaffirm their commitment to the authority and power of Scripture. Please support that effort through the Master's Academy International, wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Titles of Christ In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who He is and what He has done. Jesus is called the Mediator. God is holy and cannot have fellowship with sinful men. But Jesus is both righteous man and holy God, and through Him we have direct access to God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Prepare to guess the sound. And this isn't going to be difficult. This is Wretched Radio. I'm going to make a sound and you are going to guess what attitude I am expressing. Jimmy, would you like to represent the tens and tens of people listening to this year Wretched Radio program? Sure. Here we go. This is this is the sound. I'm going to make this super easy for you. Ready? Okay. okay. Yeah, I told you so. Uh, there you go. What what attitude am I copping? A little smugness? <laughs> well, I'm not going to do that, but I am going to do that because it happened a number of days ago, maybe a week ago here on Wretched Radio. I made a an observation and a comment in passing that I believe might be substantiated in my never-before-nicotine-stained fingers. The comment that I made was that the world appears to be creating a narrative about Christians that is not good, specifically that we are a people of insurrection, that we are the people who stormed the Capitol, that we are the people who want to overthrow a legitimately elected government. It's just been my impression, whether there is proof for it or not, it doesn't seem to matter accuracy really does not play much of a role in accusations, slander, and potentially labeling a people group for persecution. And now I think maybe, just maybe, if this article has any truth in it, because I know it's got a lot of things that aren't accurate, might just substantiate the claim that I'm making so that we can be warned that there's an attitude that appears to be growing about us. Now, whether you're in this group that David French describes doesn't make any difference. You're going to you're going to hear parts of this article and you're going to go, "Well, that's not I'm not like that. That's not me. That's not my attitude. That's not the way I think. That's not how I think about fill in the blank. Doesn't matter." The world practices zero discretion when it comes to religion. You're a Christian, whatever. You're Coptic, you're Catholic, we don't care. You're a Christian. And that's the end of the story. And we think Christians are terrorists, insurrectionists, that we're the people who want to divide the country. And if we aren't mindful of that, we might find ourselves stepping on some landmines and being perhaps put into this category of people that are not being looked at very favorably. David French, he calls himself a conservative Christian. Uh, 
don't know what his definition of conservative is. Maybe it's politically, but I would not call him a conservative evangelical Christian. Not, not, not the standards that I believe accurately define conservative. And he's, he's a good writer. He writes for the Atlantic, New York Times, best-selling author, and he regularly writes about Christianity. And he presented a really long article that uh, there was just so much stuff where I just went, oh, okay, all right, whatever. But I thought, uh-oh, uh-oh, what if this, this understanding of evangelicals that he's presenting catches on? Uh-oh, I'm an evangelical. The article is called, The Seeds of Political Violence Are Being Sown in Church. Hello. Okay. Now, his, his reporting, he, he does offer a couple of examples where inside of church, there have been some rallies around the country, political rallies inside of churches, where some incendiary things have been said. And he argues by anecdote, this is going on a lot. And he makes an observation that there is like a political, it's, it's a, some sort of event that they put on. They travel around the country and they put them on inside of churches. David French, interestingly, points out they tend to be charismatic churches, Pentecostal churches. So these are big freedom events. And at a couple of them that he cites, some people who have said things, I, I think one of the quotes was some fellow said, if you've tampered with an election, then you deserve to be hanged. That's treason. Now, I'm not suggesting violence, said the fellow. I'm just saying, you put your hand into the flame, you're going to get burned. Okay. Now, people like David French, other people, they hear that language, and they then write articles titled, The Seeds of Political Violence Are Being Sown in Church. And he offers one or two other examples. Now, how constant is this? I don't know. That's not my particular concern at the moment. Instead, my concern is that you, because you're a Christian, are going to be branded a Christian nationalist. That's the title that is being given to Christians who have any sort of interest in the political realm. Again, there's no discrimination. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how involved you are. You're doing it exactly right or you're not. It doesn't matter. You're a Christian nationalist. And I think that this has some implications for us. In his article, he says things like, Third, a mega Christian nationalism is often purported in prophecies. So you'll, you'll hear people that make prophecies about Donald Trump or about the country, who's going to win the election. And because those people are doing that, they are Christian nationalists. Founder of a, a march claims God poked him in the side and woke him up. God said it's not over. Then God showed him a vision of Jericho marching around the walls. Then God introduced him to a woman who had the same vision. This, this is what's being spoken at at some of these events. And this is what Dreher writes. Millions of Republican evangelicals have likely never heard of this particular tour. They dismiss prophecies. They legitimately are aggrieved when they are lumped into a movement and an ethos they find strange and appalling. And yet, this type of article, I think, perhaps does that very thing. Okay, so to his credit, David French made a distinction. There's not everybody is like what he's describing, whether it's accurate or not. 
Not my concern at the moment. My concern is if that's the stereotype of Christians and you're a Christian, I think this has some implications for us. We have to know that we face and what we face is a Christian subculture that is full of terrible religious purpose, writes French. The seeds of renewed political violence are being sown in churches across our land. Okay. Do I know if that's true? Uh, no, I don't. Because I don't go to any of these events. But this is the tale that is being told. See? This is, this is what the Christians are. They're terrorists. They're insurrectionists. They are people who are, are willing to hurt you. After all, the guy said you should be hanged. Now, what are the implications for us? Well, I, I think that it is another reminder. When we engage in a political discourse, we are entering these days, not so much in the past, but these days, isn't it funny, in days past, one of the polite subjects you did not discuss besides religion was politics. Today, all we do discuss are politics, politics, politics. And back then, we were far more civil when we did it. Today, you enter into a political conversation and you are in for a Donnybrook. It is visceral for people. They emote over this issue. They, they feel threatened. They think that their version of America is under assault by you. And that means we've got to be careful when we engage in political conversations. I think we need to be careful with our language a lot. I really think we better, we better noodle this through. There's some words. In fact, hold on. I think I've got an example of this in right here is where, yep, I got it right here, but I need my cheaters. Hold on. Here we go. There is, okay. Apparently, there is something being organized in our country to respond to what they believe is oppressive behavior by the government. Now, the person said this, we have a right to resist and we have an obligation and duty to do so. Here's what I am suggesting. This sentence would be picked up by David French in a heartbeat and used to say, see, there it is right there, sowing the seeds of violence. We've got to watch our language. We really need to be thoughtful about this. This is not because we want to back down, be intimidated, but it's because we want to be wise as a serpent in this scenario, because I think this scenario right now is increasingly uh, turning up the heat and getting warmer and warmer, and we might just find ourselves in that kettle if we're not careful. Am I saying don't talk about politics? Nope. Am I saying don't be involved in politics? Mm-mm. But I am saying that if this narrative continues and becomes just another not very well-informed mantra of the world, uh, you and I could be looking at some hard times. And you and I could be looking at, at um, what a government does with people that they believe are insurrectionists. Is David French right? I don't know about all of his observations, but I do know that he is right, that this is a tale that is being told, and we would do well to be aware of its narrative so that we don't find ourselves a victim of it. Without being smug, of course. Until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>